Bike Karma Bicycle Stories podcast is brought to you with support from The Frame and Wheel, helping you turn your cycling items into cash without the hassle. And AD Bikes, the modern face of Ostra Daimler bicycles. Become bike, become AD Bikes. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the Bike Karma Bicycle Stories podcast. I'm your host, Tom Brown. The mission of the show is to bring bicycle-loving people from all over the world together to share stories and make connections. Society is like a spider web of threads holding us together, and one of those threads is the commonality that we feel when we smile when we're on a bicycle. So it doesn't matter if you like wrenching, riding, or collecting. If you've ever smiled about a bicycle, you're in the right place. On today's show, we look at the positive aspects of BMX culture, dirt jumps, skate parks, and more. And then we check out the comedy of Mr. Dave Hill, who does comedy by bike. We dive back to the Velocipedium for an ABC quick check. And we do the grand finale of a story that was almost lost to time, 1919's Billy's Bicycle Triumphs, an item of ephemera that I have yet to see another copy of. This is a big tent, all access kind of show where no one's going to talk down to you and the storytellers will take you under their wings into some new facet of cycling. You have a lot of podcasts to listen to and I really appreciate you coming along for the ride on mine. Let's roll out. impressions that things give to us form the opinions that we later have about them. For BMX bikes, a lot of people saw them for the first time in the movie E.T., or maybe in The Goonies, or maybe in some other 1970s or 80s movie or TV show. You just thought they were cool. They were fresh, they were new, they had a different style, they contrasted starkly against the muscle bikes and 10 speeds of the 60s and 70s. But as time went on, BMX bikes got a little bit of a reputation with some people of being a little edgy. Maybe it had a little bit to do with some of the kids who grew up on them finding out that they still looked cool, but maybe these bikes weren't the best for commuting longer distances. I remember bigger, older kids not smiling when they had to bring two bags of groceries home on a BMX bike. But these same kids wouldn't be caught dead for even a moment on a three-speed with a rack. These small, nimble bikes that could do incredible tricks, they inspired a BMX or nothing type of attitude. The loyalty inspired by the design of this cool bicycle had no parallels in the bike world. Or maybe it had something to do with the culture of BMX bikes always being kind of removed from the rest of the culture of cycling in the United States. For a while back in the day, it seemed like the bike most likely to be going the wrong way against traffic would be some kid on a BMX. So right or wrong, for whatever reasons, they kind of got like a little bit of a bad rap from society at large. But away from society at large, out of sight, in the skate parks, in the woods, on the trails, at the pump tracks, where the general public wasn't looking, there was a very positive culture that was developing. And if you take a closer look, like I'm about to do with our next guest, you'll find a lot there that's positively BMX. If I had to say, Another little key tidbit to someone who is just starting, try everything. Ride everything you possibly can. 
you know, get excited to talk to the new person that rolls up on a bike that looks a little bit nervous. Get excited to, you know, jump in if you have the opportunity to try racing. You don't have to be intimidated by the people who are only there to race. Some people are absolutely only there to race and this has been their life forever and they train for it. It's like the people that work out at the gym and they're training for something, it's their life that's important to them. But don't let yourself forget why you started this because it looked fun or it looked exciting or it wanted to keep you moving or, you know, always just try. And if you have the chance to race, just try. If you have the chance to go ride at a park, don't turn your nose up because it's not what you like. Just go play, you never know. Some of our absolute best sessions with our friends are when none of us want to ride at this crappy park because it's falling apart, there's screws sticking up everywhere, and we have a blast trying to jump over them. <laughs> it's, it's something that you can make a good situation out of absolutely anything and always, always try. So my name is Jocelyn Kamara. Most people call me Joss or Jossie. I am originally from Oxford, Connecticut, which is super small, but I live in Long Island now in uh, Bohemia, Long Island, New York. I ride BMX bikes. I've dabbled in racing at first. I will ride anything you give me. <laughs> and now I think my heart is in the dirt. So dirt jumps are where I like to be. The most bizarre thing, people, adults and kids and all ages, legitimately hang out in the woods with shovels and they make dirt bumps. <laughs> and those dirt bumps are for riding eventually. The entire squad gets out there with their shovels and basically makes what they would like to ride on. It pays off because what they create, it, it actually kind of looks like works of art. The way that they mold jumps out of dirt, uh, dirt and clay, basically. So whatever they find in the woods there, they work with it. Sometimes they bring it in, like um, cement sometimes they'll use to make it a little bit stronger and harder. They start in the spring and then eventually throughout the entire spring, once that's over and the summer kind of rolls around, they start riding them in so that they're more firm and hard uh, to be able to ride off of and not crumble under a bike tire. So, yeah, legitimate. If you ever see someone in the woods with a shovel, don't run. They're probably just digging dirt jumps. <laughs> they might need help. <laughs> so this horrible negative stereotype about BMX kids being slacker kids is <laughs> totally wrong because there are these, these kids going out and making these immaculate engineered yep. sandcastle precision style giant loops and tracks with all these different features with jumps and bumps and berms and they might not even be on property that belongs to anybody they might just randomly pop up somewhere and do these and yep. sometimes it's on the person's property sometimes it just happens to be somewhere where nobody's paying attention to them and then you'll see this track there yep so yeah that's, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, but if you do end up coming across something like that, just either find the person who is digging and ask questions or just be very careful not to ruin them because people do put a lot of their heart and soul into it. It's basically a science. You're, you're completely right when you say engineering these jumps because they actually have to make sure that the, you know, they're rideable and you can go from a lip, which is the basically the launch ramp, to a landing, which is another side of the launch ramp. And they can go from, you know, two feet to 30 feet 
and they make them so that they are absolutely rideable on a bicycle. And it's a lot of hard work, but they're always, always happy to show people how to help, how to help dig. And it's not, it's not everything, you know, obviously the kids who really love to ride street probably won't be in the woods. Some of them ride everything, but the people who really, really want to ride dirt, you'll see them there. And if people want to look, will be a hashtag that they go to look at these? If you hashtag dirt jump, you're probably going to come across quite a bit. If you if you hashtag Caddy Woods, like I mentioned or will mention, you hashtag dirt jump. Uh, if you want to go and look up Caddy Woods or Posh Woods on a hashtag or those Instagrams, they have photos of what the jumps look like. And they are, you know, anywhere from the size of a small child standing up to... 10 feet up in the air. That's probably exaggerating. There's something like that, though. So we didn't expect her to, but Jossie did some homework, digging all the way back to episode 14. In that episode, Joe Doherty, aka Gromdad, I think even before he started his pretty successful podcast, BMX in Our Blood, we talked about how BMX bikes fit into the history of the evolution of the bicycle. And one of the cool things that we talked about was this thing called a side hack. If you can picture kind of like a gladiator chariot, but just tubes. It's essentially a BMX bike with a sidecar. And yeah, they go around a pump track with one person pedaling and the other person holding on to the side. Not really sitting, just standing and holding on. And being the small world of bicycles, that reminded her of a time that she actually rode a side hack with Joe. So because I wanted to brush up, I actually did find Gromdad's podcast that you did with him, so Joe Doherty. And it was funny because, you know, I, I have these memories kind of like stuck in my head and they kind of come up as things come up and we do different, you know, events and stuff. The one thing that I remember the most from the podcast was the feeling of being on that side hack he's talking about. <laughs> um, I have to say that was one of the most hilarious and terrifying moments because I was always the kid who someone was like, hey, try this. This is fun. And I go, OK, not really know what I was getting myself into. So I jumped on and trusted Joe completely <laughs> with standing next to him while he paddled a bike down Trumbull Track. <laughs> so a side hack for everybody is a gladiator cart almost where you have the main bike and then you have a sidecar onto it. And yep. sometimes they're really, really legit and stable and sometimes they're kind of sketch. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but then you take them around this incredible crazy track and you're racing. Uh, well, the very first time he had me do it, I really wish someone recorded it because somehow I went from riding around the berm on the side hack to flying through the air around the rest of the berm to running out down the end of the berm <laughs> without the side hack. <laughs> and then at the end of that, my legs kind of just said, nope. And I kind of just fell on the ground and kind of laid there for a second to like look around. Whoa, what just happened? I don't even remember if he stopped. He might have kept going. <laughs> but uh, that was like my very first trial on that thing. Yeah, I, obviously I didn't get hurt. I, I don't know if I got hurt. I think I was fine. But <laughs> I, we got back up and we tried it again. And then we ended up actually doing it at the jam that he talks about in the podcast, which was before he did the podcast before the jam. And I, I got to, you know, suit up and look all badass and cool with goggles and a helmet on and <laughs> ride with him. And I honestly, 
we have a picture somewhere of what we placed, and I don't remember for the life of me what we placed because it was never about actually winning for me with anything I did. It was more so that I had a really good time and I was laughing the entire time it was happening. <laughs> so I'll have to go back and look at that just to see what we placed. But I know we raced against, like, the Hallahans. I'm pretty sure Jane and Tim McCarthy were out there. Um, I'm pretty sure we raced against some of Scotty's crew. I can't remember who was riding that day. <laughs> Uh, on the side hack, but um, it was it was a good time. It was pretty fun. <laughs> Do you go back to the side hack now? Is that something that you want in your stable on your own? Or oh, I mean, if if the opportunity was there, where you know they were doing another race, I jump in. I don't mind. I have fun with it. It's, whether I'm like stable on it or not, because I, I I don't know. I got like what three runs on it before race time, <laughs> like all together. <laughs> so whatever you know it ha- if, it, if I have the chance to try again I'll try again <laughs> did you guys do shoot one two three shoot to see who would get to be the rider and who would get to be the passenger or what do you call the two positions on it is I, there like a name or I cannot remember for the life of me what Joe is called but I know I'm called the monkey <laughs> Joe, <laughs> Joe, Joe was pedaling <laughs> I was just so the non-pedaling person is called the monkey. Okay. I'm almost, I'm almost positive. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. You might have to go back and check with him on that one, too. It's all a blur. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like sure a technical that... term, so it must be right. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what I was called. And so your job is just to basically stay on the bike no matter what. And is pump. Yeah, other help, parts help to with it? the pump. When he showed it to me, maybe I was taking it too seriously, but it almost felt like, you know, the Jamaican bobsled team where you have to, like, push it kind of and then jump on. You know, that one crank, that hard crank at the starting gate. Obviously, I'm not starting on it. I have to push a little bit, so there was that. And then I just had to help pump through everything, which I was also still learning, so I think I anti-pumped him multiple times by accident. It helps you go faster if you do it right. So for people who aren't familiar with BMX, so the pump track, describe the pump track and what you would normally do on the pump track. So you use the rollers to your advantage to gain speed. So if you're looking at it, it's basically just like, all right, so if you know what, I think slalom skiing is the right word, where there's the moguls, right? But Mm -hmm. instead of going around the moguls, you're going over the moguls. Uh, Basically, it's like a bunch of bumps, big bumps, and you got to figure out how to get your bike over that without just yard tailing and throwing yourself everywhere and if you're not ready for those bumps sometimes that happens <laughs> you basically would use those bumps to like straightaways with speed bumps essentially you would use those to gain speed so that essentially you wouldn't have to pedal if you didn't want to and you could carry it your entire bike through that whole track just by working with them with the momentum i'm gonna say it backwards if you ask me how to pump because i'm still learning the right way to pump but it's like a swing. There's a certain way where it'll totally dead your swing if you swing your legs the wrong way. And there's a way that when you swing them out, it will help you go higher and faster on the swing. <laughs> so as you're going over the rollers, you you can accelerate just by leaning back and forth in the right way. Yeah. And, um, sucking in the bike with your legs, making your legs like shocks. As I mean, you can tell, I've not done the pump track. I've done things like a pump track, but I haven't done the pump track itself. Oh, you got to so. try it. It's great. The first time I was there was at the Cram Gym, so it was pretty busy that day, but mm-hmm. I think I might show up sometime when it's less busy. It's a great time. You're probably going to end up going off the side like I did, but it's a good time. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not quite used to it, it's pretty easy to land in the side next to the fence. <laughs> I 
actually had never ridden a pump track until I was 25. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I started really, really late. Um, I'm 28 now, and I used to be a cheerleader and you know all that good stuff. Play softball, cross country track, but I never picked up um, a bike to ride it at a track or you know dirt jumps. I always had like the hybrid mountain bike kind of thing. Everyone thought it was so cool. <laughs> But really, it was just a you know a mountain bike that looked a little bit different, and I could ride it on the street or in the grass. Basically, I you know I would say I rode through like little trails and things in my yard and stuff, and it was really just flat flat ground. But I never really toyed with this stuff until I was around 25, um, and decided I was picking up a BMX bike and doing whatever to just keep excited. <laughs> Now, was it an open door for you, or did you feel like there were obstacles, or did you feel like it was very welcoming for you? This is, like, my absolute favorite part about BMX. It was super welcoming from the people. The BMX community and the whole cycling community seems so warm and welcoming just because they're so excited and want to keep it alive. But as far as, like, the technical stuff, uh, I could already ride a bike. I was already pretty pretty used to falling because the cheerleading that I did was more so tumbling and stunting and very physical. So, you know, if I wanted to learn something, I had to push through and occasionally land on my face. And if I wanted it bad enough, I kept doing it until I learned the right way to do it and not to land on your face. So riding a bike came easy because I learned when I was four, I believe, with my dad and my mom in the backyard. And, you know, after already knowing how to do that, the whole balance thing that came with other sports that I had done and the strength from those sports, because my legs were already from ready from cheerleading and gymnastics and tumbling, it was pretty easy to transition into that. The only thing that I had a really hard time with was, and I noticed it in my cheerleading tricks that transfers over, is when I started to learn certain tricks on the bike, my body didn't work as one. My body would work in parts, which I can explain later. It, there's some things that you're just supposed to follow through altogether. It's like when you swing a baseball bat and you step on the bug and you swing it. You can't swing it in pieces because you're going to miss the ball. You have to step and swing all together, basically. And it's supposed to be a fluid motion. <laughs> um, that's the only time that it wasn't so welcoming. But in I'm a, a bring on the challenges kid because I enjoy that. And if it keeps me busy and working and feeling like I'm being successful at something, and then if I'm tired at the end of it, then I'm, I'm happy. So. What's one of the hardest things that you had to learn about riding BMX? As far as uh, learning wheelies and manuals, like I'm still not there. And I'm really stubborn with the small tricks. I'm one of those people that would rather the scary fast high, even though I don't go that high and I'm still learning how to go faster, I would rather be doing that because it's almost an instant result. And that's like one of my ADHD flaws, I guess, and being one of those kids that always needed something to have a reaction quickly. But I struggle really hard with the tricks that make me work for longer than my attention span wants to. And it's funny because and we talked about a little bit about me being a teacher before. Um, I felt for those kids and I could see those kids. <laughs> so, you know, I pay a little extra attention to them because I'm absolutely still one of those kids where, for example, those the tricks that I'm talking about where you have to be very fluid uh, spinning, for example, you have to follow through. Your whole body has to continue in one motion and you turn your head and your body will follow. But I break it up and, and I used to do the exact same thing when I was tumbling where I was learning these, it's called a full and it's a backflip, no hands on the ground and your body rotates in the air 360 around while it's going backwards. 
took me forever to figure out because I was doing everything in pieces and I couldn't put it together. Once I finally put it together, it clicked. But it's the same thing with a lot of these like spin tricks that I'm trying to figure out. They're stubborn and I'm stubborn. <laughs> so it's hard because I've, I've I try to put it all together and I know what to do and my brain tells me one thing and then my body does the exact opposite. <laughs> uh, it's the same thing with manuals and wheelies. Like I, I can't quite get there because I, I don't put it all together the right way yet. I can do piece by piece, but that doesn't work if you're trying to do a whole trick. <laughs> so. How much do you ride and what are your goals as a rider? Um, we kind of ride a lot less now because of the whole, you know, we used to travel a little bit more. I travel a lot with my boyfriend. Uh, his name is Johnny. Johnny Nemesek. <laughs> Everybody seems to know who he is as a shirtless kid. Does tables everywhere he goes, which is a bike trick. But he has us riding a lot if we can, but he also is fixing up a house right now. So that has definitely taken a little bit of a toll on that. Um, we try to at least ride every weekend. That's one of the things that we, we like to do, and it keeps both of us sane. Obviously, we'd like to ride a little bit more, but now that winter's coming around, that might be a little hard. But we do try to get to as many indoor places as we possibly can. Um, and if it's really cold and the skate parks aren't full of snow, we'll probably be there also if we get a chance to. But as far as goals, I really, really would like to learn how to air quarter. That's been on my mind for a very long time. Do you know what airing a quarter is? Uh, so a quarter at a skate park is the ramp that, how do I explain this? I'm sure most people know what a half pipe is. A half pipe is basically a ramp to a deck. Um, it's got a little bit of like a curve upwards and then a deck on the top most of the time. Sometimes there's no deck, so you have no safety net to land on if you need to. <laughs> but basically airing a quarter is riding up that curve, up that ramp, and coming up and over the deck and then dropping back in there's something called coping which is usually on the edge of the deck and the ramp which makes it a little bit harder depending on what it looks like if it's a thicker coping you may get hung up on it where you might get stuck um it'll pop your bike out a little farther because you ride off of it if you're lucky it'll be nice and mellow but there's really only one way to find out um <laughs> you kind of just got to go for it that's one of those things that i've been really working on not being afraid of because I don't necessarily get afraid. I just like to do it the right way so I can learn from it. You know, believe it or not, even when I do land really hard in a crumpled up ball on the ground next to my bike, uh, I'm still trying to learn from it. And I still typically do learn from whatever I just did um, and what to do next or what not to do. Or, you know, maybe I need to learn how to take a break at that moment and I go get a drink of water. It's something that I've, I've had on my mind for a while. I, I really like to be able to air, air those quarters because it gives me more flow in the skate park to where I don't have to put a complete stop to what I'm doing and piece things together a little bit more as far as riding through different aspects of the park. You started the BMX when you were 20, you said 25? Yeah. Yep. So that was just three years ago and you've yeah. already advanced pretty quick. So. There's kids younger than you out there, and there's people older than you out there. What kind of advice would you give them for thinking about, would BMX be a fit for me? I think that my first thing that I would say to somebody who is trying to learn to ride BMX would be to not get frustrated if you don't get where you want to be as fast as you do. 
it's something I'm also still learning every day. I think the other really important part of that, the other half of that is make sure that you're having fun regardless of what you're doing. If you don't find it fun, if you're not surrounded by energy that you love, or you can find your own energy that fuels you by yourself, say, you know, you don't have anybody to ride with. You, it doesn't matter because you found a bike and you're excited and you just want to learn and take it all in like a sponge. Make sure you're enjoying it. And if you can give your own self those good vibes, great. If you can find a good group of people to give you those good vibes, even better. And if you can find your way into any sort of cycling community, do it. Those people are going to hype you up and make you feel really good and make you want to try harder after you've already pushed yourself. I think it's really important just to keep going and stay persistent because it's not something that you can like learn overnight. Yeah, keep the fun in it. A thousand percent. That's what I like about your post is you are a very positive person. If you're having a bad day, you're throwing out some positive to the whole biking community. I think people don't realize it happens to me more often than not, but I would rather put a post out there where I'm hyping myself up or at least giving someone else some hype up rather than put a time and a date on when I didn't feel good. And I think it's really important to not be able to look back on when you were upset. Because, you know, we all have our days, we all have our anxieties, we all have things that eat at us. And, you know, like we live in a really weird world right now and we all kind of need a little extra sunshine. It's important. Mm -hmm. I feel like my entire riding, I say career very lightly because I'm not getting paid for this, but <laughs> my entire riding life so far has just been one big, like, belly laugh. <laughs> There's just been so many things, and, you know, you associate bikes with people you never, ever would have met if you weren't, you know, jumping on a, a bike of some sort. I think one of my absolute, and this kind of goes along with what we just talked about, but my absolute favorite memory is my very first race where I rode over the rollers, actually, that we were talking about, pump track rollers, right? In my first actual race, rode over the rollers, didn't even make it to the first berm, and completely wiped out. Don't know what happened. I just remember I was riding, and then I was on the ground. I don't know who it was, but someone random, and I had my GoPro on at the time, and of course, over my, you know, swearing because I'm like laughing and that actually hurt ouch you know you can also hear someone go come on girl get up you got it <laughs> and it made my absolute day and the entire rest of that lap because I finished absolute dead last but the entire rest of the lap I was having a great time and I think that was like my first hey this is BMX and like you're always going to make it fun and it's always going to be a good time if you let it be you know from then on I just have tried to make everything funny and and I'm a very goofy person, so a lot of goofy things happen to me. I must just attract it. I'm not sure. <laughs> but I'll take it because as long as I'm laughing, I'm I'm happy. <laughs> Marketing is one of my absolute favorite things, and I almost wish that I also went to school for that because I, I don't know what it is. I love getting behind products or groups or teams or things that I love and can support and I really enjoy that that aspect of just like life just promoting what you love and even if it's just you know promoting love <laughs> anything BMX is such a it's funny everybody told me at the very beginning like hey don't try to make any money off this or don't try to you know make this a job or this or that and I, I see it now where there really isn't much money in women's BMX per se for products but 
the whole vibe of women's BMX is also a, a big movement, I guess. There's more and more girls trying to ride every day, but not all of them know to reach out to other girls. And I wish that, that I could market just the feeling and the community somehow of bikes that I got to learn from and see where there, it was just all excitement and people were just pumped to have you there because it kept bikes alive. I almost wish there was a way to do that. I know we do have women's events. The turnout's not always that big. The people who run it do an amazing job. Obviously, this past year, uh, we, we did one at Caddy Woods. That's in Pennsylvania. And Posh Woods, that's also in Pennsylvania. Both of those, there's public trails, actually. They are sponsored, so they're legal to ride there whenever. Um, you just have to get in touch with one of the people there. Uh, they like to have you wear a helmet and make sure that you have brakes on your bike so they don't lose their sponsorship or their insurance on the land. But you can actually find their social medias on Instagram, and they post the events. They do more than just the women's weekend. Uh, really cool people. Um, they usually have a Halloween jam, which is pretty rad. They have a Fourth of July jam, which is pretty rad. They have a kids jam, which is even thicker. So just a good time all around. So if you're looking for any info on those, uh, Caddy Woods, C-A-T-T-Y Woods, and Posh Woods, P-O-S-H Woods on Instagram. All the info that you need for any sort of future events will be on there. Although, obviously, with COVID and winter coming, there won't be anything for a while. But come springtime, they do dig days, and they'll put up some uh, some information on on what's going on in the near future for events, and anybody is welcome. But uh, smaller turnout this year because of COVID, but usually it's just a big, fun time of just everyone getting together. Uh, and I, I wish there was a way to market just how much fun it is. And also the thing is, is you can bring your person with you. You know, if you are if you have a an other that you travel with and, you know, you don't want to only go to an event alone, you're more than welcome to bring them, but it is also about the girls that day. It's more of like getting everybody together and then being able to enjoy, you know, that it almost brings more like awareness, like, hey, you can, you can do this too. You just got to want it and go play. If I could market anything, I wish I could do that. I don't know how I would. I guess in my own way, I just do it by trying to make it seem fun and exciting to everybody I come across that may be a little unsure or lets their anxieties get the best of them and don't like to ride because it seems scary, but new things are scary. And I think I, I wish I could kind of like bottle that and give that to somebody and say, no, no, go play, go try it. <laughs> okay, so the bike itself, as we kind of hoped it would be, is kind of a unisex thing. Then, oh, absolutely. You know, as long as you get the right fit for you. You're going to jump on any bike and chances are someone's going to be like, hey, ride mine. You're going to ride it. You're going to like this feels funky because it's so small, unless you've ridden those bikes, those kinds of bikes before. But once you find a bike that you do fit with, for example, my first bike I bought from friends, thought it was the coolest. Like I, I have always had a thing for Monster Energy because of the whole extreme sports behind it. And now I work for them and I'm stoked on it. But before I ended up working for them, I acquired this bike from my friends who I still ride with to this day on occasion when I get to see them. And it was a super heavy Miraco, which is a Dave Mira. He's a BMX legend that, that we don't have around anymore, unfortunately. Apparently, he was very cool, and I wish I had tuned in a little bit more when he was alive to see all the things that he did. But uh, it was a Miraco bike, um, super heavy, had a gyro, which means the handlebar spun all the way around without the brake cable getting stuck, and a very short back end. So 
looping out is a thing. Uh, <laughs> looping out means you basically land on your back because your your front wheel goes up in the air and you land like a turtle on your back with a shell, um, bike up in the air. If you're lucky, if that if you can keep it from landing on you. <laughs> that was my first bike, and I had no idea what a bike that fit me felt like yet. So, you know, I, I took my fair share of spills on that thing. Loved every second of it because I was learning. I felt like I was working really hard. But once I got on, actually, Grandad's bike, which is his FBM bike, once he let me try that, I ended up using that to race and putting my Monster Energy bike down. It was a world of difference. And I ended up switching out for motos, which are the race sequences, uh, with him, with his bike. That poor bike went through hell with me because, you know, I didn't even know how to ride it yet. But he let me play on it. It felt so different. Then, you know, fast forward, my friends built me a kind of a mismatched bike that was a little bit closer to my fit. Again, loved the thing, rode, rode that thing like crazy. Uh, my friends at Tony's Bikes were the one that hooked me up, Colton Civitello. Um, they put it together for me, Mike Francisco and Hector. They put it together for me, and it was like my Frankenstein bike, but I loved it, and it fit me. And I felt crazy different riding on everything with it because it was more so what I should be on. My bike now is pretty modeled after, pretty much modeled after that Frankenstein bike that I was riding. And, you know, it feels good. It's what I need to ride. But what I ride, I ride dirt jumps and a little bit of everything also. I needed something that I could be comfortable racing with. I needed something I could be comfortable riding street when we did those missions, riding the skate park, stuff like that. But if uh, someone, you know, a woman wants to try riding but is really only interested in one thing, it's safe to say you can gear a bike towards that one thing. But, like I said, try everything because you never know. You might find a love in something you don't know yet. You'll kind of get a feel after riding different bikes and playing around with it to see what you like in, in bikes. You know, there's there's bigger bars. There's smaller bars. I tend to like bars that are a tiny bit bigger. Don't ask me the measurements because I really don't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> But they feel more sturdy in my hand, you know. I now ride metal pedals. I used to ride plastic. My feet wouldn't stay on the plastic pedals. And now I ride metal and my feet don't leave unless my shin needs to kiss my pedal. <laughs> you kind of like learn and go as you go. So where would people go if they want to find out more? So if you're looking to find out more, my Instagram is JOC313. Totally feel free to reach out, ask me questions. I'm a little bit of a scatterbrain mess, so it might take me a day to get back to you. But if anybody's looking to try to start riding BMX, uh, I can't exactly teach you because I'm still learning myself. But I'd love to, I'd love to, to give you the heads up on what, what I love about it. And if there's anything else that you want to know about. Uh, I do have a couple people that keep me going, which is pretty rad. Somehow I acquired some sponsorships. The main sponsorship I ride for is Black Magic Supply. It's a supplement company. They keep me going and super excited. And then uh, I've got Everyone Sex But Us. They're based out of New York. They're amazing people. They make really sick shirts. They keep me looking cool when I ride. <laughs> My Old Bones Therapy. They're also wonderful people based out of California. They keep my knees safe, my elbows safe, my ankles safe, and they keep my joints feeling better after I'm done dying. <laughs> they also have a ton of other stuff, um, and it's totally not just for people who ride bikes. Uh, I know they cater to people who lift, people who just, you know, have, have the need for a compression sleeve. So they're pretty awesome. And then my coffee company, which keeps me going too, um, Coffee Surf Co. They're based out of New Jersey. 
really, really rad people, super supportive, uh, all of all the people that keep me going on. And then just picked up two new kind of affiliates who, who are also really stoked and keep me excited. Chakra Art and Design, they hooked me up with yoga mats so that I'm constantly standing on something beautiful and comfortable when I need to stretch, which is really important, and do my yoga stuff. And then uh, Alpine Organics, which is CBD stuff, which I really wanted to try. And they swooped in at the right time and hooked me up. So I'm thankful for the, the hype that all these people give me. It makes me feel good that you don't have to be the absolute craziest, best, and highest rider in the world. You just have to be really in love with what you're doing. Um, and, and people will back you. So it's pretty rad. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, yeah. You too. Talk to you soon, Tom. So for so many of us kids rolling around town when we were younger on our bikes, there would be one kid who'd roll up to us and just start talking. And this kid would be like being chased by somebody or he would be chasing somebody. He'd just start talking about some big adventure. For me, it was usually a guy, but I'm sure it was universal. In fact, I'm pretty sure that I was that guy sometimes. We'd invent our own dramas and there were fake gangs. I was in a relatively safe area, but we liked to pretend there was interesting adventures just below the surface. Thought somebody was chasing me from the other side of town, or one of my nemesis nemesises from the from the apartment buildings behind the school were like coming after me, or or I was going to spy on and do reconnaissance on them. You know, as you do when you're 12. For any of us who grew up on bikes, I bet we can relate to that. And that's the beauty of Dave Hill's humor. His posts bring me right back to riding around town as a kid. But he's an adult man who seems to be stuck in that time loop. Oh, hey, it's Dave. I'm out riding my bike by the river. A lot of people are like, what are you, crazy? You could be attacked by a smallmouth bass that's lashing out in search of a better life, or you could be swept away by a glacier, only to be discovered by a society of the future that'll poke you with sticks in the name of scientific research and old-school belittlement. Until I say, fish attacks me, I'll just charm him with my sweet, sweet song. Ah. And if the glacier comes at me, I'll just say, stop it, you're bad, because as everyone knows, glaciers are the only naturally occurring phenomenon to, to respond to scolding and teasing. His arch enemy are the towny punks. Hey, what's up? It's Dave. I told those towny punks to meet me up at the local skate park. Where are you at, towny punks? Cacao! You definitely want to preview some of his stuff before you watch it with your family because some of it's kind of more adult humor, but you definitely want to go check him out because it's pretty funny. And who doesn't need a good laugh after this last year? Oh hey, it's Dave. I'm out riding my bike by this gravel pit. Oh hey, it's Dave. I'm out riding my bike by this electrical plant. I'm out riding my bike at this construction site. I'm out riding my bike by this marina. I'm out riding my bike in the snow again. I'm out riding my bike in the middle of this field. I guess one of the biggest compliments I could give him is that his routines have already found their way into our inside jokes of our family. Oh yeah, and when my t-shirt gets here, I'm going to be in a street gang too. So without further ado, Mr. Dave Hill. My name is Dave Hill. I live in New York City. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. And I don't know, I'm a comedian, musician, writer, sometimes actor type person. 
my girlfriend and, I, and our dog live in New York, but um, I, you know, we came out to her mom's place like in this past March for what we thought was going to be like, you know, three or four weeks. We literally like didn't pack any, barely packed any, you know, any clothes, anything. You know, we're just like, we got out here and it was just, it's been kind of in the summer and all that. And, you know, the dog is loving it. We're just in this tiny little town right on Lake Erie. And then we've been helping out her mom and stuff. So, but they're like, oh, there's nothing going on. So we've just been kind of hanging out here, but we'll, we'll go back to New York in the near, nearish future, I guess. But all my stuff's there. I, I got to go back. All my, all my underwear is there. <laughs> You started posting these rides, and you'd stop, like, in the middle of the ride. How did that start? How did you start posting from the bike? I think, like, I started riding. I mean, normally I'm a runner, and then, because I, I don't ride, never ride a bike in New York. I know a lot of people do, but I would just be splattered all over in two seconds, because my mind is always kind of wandering and daydreaming, which is fine when you're, and, you know, where we are now, it's like a little town of 3,000 people. And I think that same thing happened. You know, I was just daydreaming and I started thinking just, you know, I'm always imagining things that aren't actually happening, you know. Like, so I was just imagining, like, me squaring off uh, against the, the towny punks, you know, <laughs> that, you know, in the, in the park in the center of town and all this. I sort of imagining all the trouble that I was getting into around town, even though, you know, the reality is that I really don't see, almost don't really see anybody. Like, you know, I might see someone out walking their dog or something, but it's e even in non-COVID times, it's not like a town where you really see many people and now it's even less. So it was all just kind of in my mind. I think right around this time, I was no, the real thing, whatever it's called, on Instagram. I was like, oh, what's this thing, you know? And I just tried doing it, and uh, they started uh, getting a nice reaction. So, of course, that was, like, egging me on to do more of them just because, uh, you know, the attention. <laughs> but also, like, not really that, but, you know, I was, so many people were saying nice things, like you were saying, like, putting them in a good mood during these, you know, times that we're in. So it's like I was having fun doing it and I realized other people were enjoying it. So also like it puts me in a better mood as well because it's kind of a road. This whole times we're in is such a emotional <laughs> roller coaster. I think for any, I'll pick a, any number, whatever reason you want, you know, it's like, it's like any more, it's like, COVID is not a, not really always on the top of my list of things I'm kind of freaked out about, you know. It's, like, pretty funny that a pan things are so messed up now that a pandemic doesn't really hang on to the number one spot every day. Um, <laughs> you would think, right? But it doesn't. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's, like, a distant th three or four on my list of things I'm pissed off about whatever so so you know the you know the riding exercise obviously you know helps me get in a better mood but going out and acting like an idiot and pretending to uh be in fights with imaginary people in town and and then or like kind of bragging or whatever i guess the videos go in two categories one i'm either threatening townie punks and the other is i'm bragging about 
some sort of dangerous thing that I've done, uh, which is not dangerous. Those are the two categories I do, I guess. Not without really thinking about it, this was kind of evolved into because I'm just trying to entertain. I my rule of anything is just always entertain yourself. So I'm just kind of entertaining myself, really, and then and then you know it's nice that other people get a kick out of it too. Oh, hey, it's Dave. I'm out riding my bike in the snow again. A lot of people are like, what, are you crazy riding your bike in the snow? You could slide on the ice into oncoming traffic or be attacked by a polar bear with almost no capacity for reason. And to that I say, well, hey, of all, if I slide into the oncoming traffic, the oncoming traffic is going to have to deal with my oncoming fist. And as for the polar bear, I would just remind him that this is an often cruel and unforgiving world and we'd be better off friends than enemies. And then we'd shake on him. If he needs to scratch me when we shake hands, I'd say, you nasty polar bear. <laughs> and daddy's saying base. No, I mean, I'd say it's me, like an aspect of how I really am, you know, maybe this sped up talking faster, but it's definitely like an aspect of my personality, you know. It's funny, like, they seem to have gotten quite popular and, you know, people have commented like, oh, is this this guy or that, you know, talking about different characters and TV and movie characters. And I'm just like, well, I don't usually have no idea who they're talking about and that if I do I haven't seen what they're talking about and then I just want to I don't respond to any of it but I'm kind of like you should just meet me because this is kind of how I am you know <laughs> so I just need me and me but I mean obviously I'm being more goofball in those videos you know just silliness it's I mean it's just the same shit I've been doing since I was 15 or whatever I guess you know it's like my friend's even though I'm a professional comedian and performer and all that, like my friends from high school are always like, you know, if I'm in, if I'm in t back home doing shows and stuff, they rarely come to them. They'll just come out after for the beers, you know, because they're like, we've been getting this for free forever. Like, why would we start paying for this? You know. My audio went wonky for just a little bit, but I just told him that I really appreciated his humor and that it was really, really relatable and somehow it took me right back to my childhood where I was riding around the town and just the type of stories and the way we talk back then riding around the town on bikes. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, I think that's probably, you hit it, like, what it comes from is because that's kind of what I think of when I'm out riding because I'm, I'm out, you know, and I'm, I'm just kind of zipping around this. And, you know, when, when, I, when my dad used to live at back at the house I grew up in, you know, and I'd be home visiting him, I would, like, borrow one of his bikes and do the same thing. And I would just kind of mentally go to that same place where you're, like, zipping around town and you're hoping you look cool, but you think you might also look like a dork. And then, you know, you know, it's like, you know, and I've actually, one time when I was making one of these videos, there were these, uh, like, young kids, like, smoking out next to their car. And I was like, oh, I should get a shot of these because they're the closest things to comedy <laughs> punks that I've encountered, you know. <laughs> so I rode by and, like, kind of tried to sneak a shot of them. And sure enough, I got, you know, like, 50 feet away and one of them yelled, like, hey, did you just take our picture? Like, kind of like... uh <laughs> caught off guard and then I was like oh shit like these guys might actually get in their car and come after me 
So I kind of pedaled it. <laughs> you know, and I've, I had like, uh, you know, moments where I was, I've been riding for months now. And a big part of it was like during the election. Uh, and, you know, people have their signs out and stuff. And like, I was always like, I was probably not hard to guess who I voted for. Just, I guess, looking at my Instagram. But, uh, you know, the, the, uh, I, I, I was like tempted to like take out some Trump signs and like just ride right through them, you know? And then, but I was like, hmm, probably not worth it. And then one time I, one time I was like, I'm totally in the clear. I think I could get away with it this time. And I like kind of got up on my bike and started pedaling hard and just like 10 feet away, I see like a cop just sitting there. And I was like, oh, man, thank God. I didn't do it. Like, it would be so dumb to, like, you know, get in trouble. Like, you know, not to mention the fact, uh, the added stupidity of getting in trouble, like riding your bike around town as a middle-aged man. It's kind of a, a little more, it's a bit sadder, isn't it? But, you know, men- mentally I'm kind of 15 the whole time when I'm out, out riding. But yeah, it's, it's good. I, you know, it's good. I, I'm actually thinking like that. I, I probably I'm like, oh, I should, I should, I should get a bike when we go back to New York, and I'm, you know, I can just ride it along the Hudson and stuff like that, where it can't get hit by a car. I want to keep it up. Definitely, once this COVID thing comes down, I'm sure you'll have a lot of people asking you to go for a ride with them, regardless of where you are. Well, that's uh, the, the funny thing is I've actually had people, I guess, that follow me, like, start recognize, like, where I am. And people have been like, wait, you're in this town. Like, that's my street. Like, you're in my, you're in my town. How do I not see you? And I've had, I've had, I had one guy, I forget what it's called, those things where they lead like really long bike tours, like really long ass rides. I can't want what they're called. But this guy was like, Hey, do you want to go riding together? And I was just like, no. Um, <laughs> like maybe I would, if, maybe I would if, if it weren't for COVID, but. I'm just like, you know, and then plus is I was like, this guy seems like a serious rider. Like any, any serious rider would be really disappointed to ride with me because I rarely ride much faster than a nine year old could run on foot. You know, li- most of the time I'm literally just kind of tooling around looking at houses and things, you know, sometimes I'll get up a little speed for like, you know, I, I a hundred yards or whatever but i'm generally like a child could catch me most of the time so anyone anyone really looking to put some miles behind them would would be let down but uh i don't know maybe i'll change plus i don't have any of the gear i got a helmet but like you know i don't have any bicycle attire i just wear track pants i don't have any cool bike stuff i don't need it it's all attitude you know, attitude out I mean, there. While you were talking about, you know, being a kid and worried about looking cool, I was always thinking with my bike, which was the wrong bike. You know, it's like I got the bike that would have been cool for 10 years before I was actually riding it. 
and all the cool kids had BMX bikes back in the back in the early 80s, late 70s. Yeah. And I remember sitting in my driveway just looking at it and going, I just need the right sticker in the right place, and then I'll look cool. Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> and just how it, it doesn't matter what sticker you have. It's all about how you feel while you're on the bike. You project it, it or you don't. Well, oh, I like... The, thing, the funny thing is, my, I got that helmet. Like, I wasn't wearing a helmet. I know this is, I was, you know, I was just kind of taking a very, like, uh, Dutch or Danish approach to biking, I guess. And I was like, oh, I'm just kind of tooling around. I don't, I probably don't need a helmet. And then my brother, who rides pretty seriously, well, you know, infinitely more seriously than I do. And my friend Curtis, they were both like, you could, like, really hurt yourself even going, like, five miles an hour. Like, you know, they're just like, so I got a helmet at their urging, so... And then I got this helmet, and uh, I was glad I did, because I was like, yeah, that was, you know, even my girlfriend was like, I don't want to have to, like, take care of you if you have, like, a brain injury. <laughs> and so now I feel silly that I ever rode. I only rode, honestly, for, like, you know, a week or two without it. But um, I got the helmet, and then it was, like, just bright blue, and I was like, well, this won't do. I need some cool stickers. <laughs> So, but I didn't have any stickers here. They're all in New York. So I posted on Facebook for people to send me stickers and all these people sent me stickers. And, uh, and I think they thought it was for some higher purpose. So I was a little embarrassed that it was really just <laughs> my helmet. But I got a lot of sweet stickers, as you can see in the video. And people, you know, yeah. I wanted people to know, I wanted to radiate trouble into the neighborhood. And you can't do that with a pristine blue helmet. You need to have just some chaos going on in your head with just just stuff slapped all over, overlapping. Just let let people know you, that there's a dangerous element in that town. So I think I've achieved that. Once again, my audio got wonky and his was fine. But I asked him about his street gang, which you can join just by getting a t-shirt. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I have a street gang. It sort of, I mean, it actually started totally separately from my bike videos, but because it started about 10 years ago on Twitter, going back to just having a vivid imagination, I guess, I just decided that I should have a street gang, like a suburban street gang, and, uh, and it's called the Dangerous Snakes Who Hate BS with the, you know, with the word fully pronounced, though, that's how dangerous we are. And um, it started, yeah, like 10 years ago on Twitter, I would talk about it. And then and then uh, uh, I decided around that time that I would make T-shirts and I designed a hastily designed a logo and I sold a bunch of shirts. But then the shirt became too popular to the point where it was kind of a, a burden to like go mail it at the post office. Because I was like, oh, the joke's on me. Like, I got to go to the post office. And in New York, if you show up at the post office with, like, 30 packages, they want to kill you. So I stopped selling them because I was just like, this is causing trouble in my life to be selling this shirt. So then recently, I was like, oh, I should. You know, I found a, a way to do it where I didn't have to do any of that stuff. Um, and... uh I thought maybe 20 people would want the shirt, but it's become it's become really popular. Cause I, 
I think, which is I'm really happy about because I think it's just a fun way for people to connect and and uh, and just be silly. And uh, it's I mean, it's fun to have be in a street gang, you know, a good street gang, because it's like you know we're the stuff that we're against is not uh, just universal. It's apolitical. It's you know it's just universal things. It's like we're against people that talk really loud on their cell phones. We're against uh, well, this is maybe a bit specific, but wrap sandwiches. I'm not crazy about those. So um, you know, poorly made wrap sandwiches. Even though I think the very concept is offensive. Uh, double parkers, not crazy about those. People who make gum sounds. Anyway, stuff like that. Things that most, almost anyone can agree needs to stop. So it's something, you know, in these divisive times that almost anyone can get on board with. And, uh. So, so if you buy a shirt, you're in the gang. You're the, not only in the gang, but you're the leader of your local chapter. Um. I've been waiting so, for payday, so it it is probably so. When it comes, that's your time to strike. But what where what town are you in or city? I'm in Wethersfield, Connecticut. Oh, what you're in? What's where is that? In the middle of Connecticut, right under the capital of Hartford. Oh, nice. My brother lives in in uh, New Haven. So, but yeah, you'll be the uh, you'll be the leader of that chapter. It's how it works. Sometimes though, it's already happened where people are. I'll post that someone is the leader of this, whatever chapter, and then someone else will be like, wait, I have a shirt, and I'm in that town, too. But then I just settle it through a hierarchy that exists in my mind. But the, really, the secret is I just tell them both, they're both the leader, and neither, none, neither is the wiser. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been fun. And then I'm, I'm hoping like, uh, I'm hoping once the pandemic is over, maybe we, there can be more social aspects to it. Um, but I also like, I give 10% of the money to No Kid Hungry, so it's it's also, uh, there's, a, there's a good vibes aspect to it. That's, you know, you have allies all over the world instantly. Um, so uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and it's funny, like the shirt has sold, you know, there's, there's in the UK, Australia, Canada, Norway, Germany, it's growing and all, all over the U.S., of course. Um, but it's it's fun. And then my comedy shows, you know, people, um, even when I sold them years ago, people still have them and, and come out and they wear them to the shows and tell me what, what chapter they're the, they're the leader of. So it's a lot of fun. I'm hoping, I, what I would really love to see once COVID is over is, you know, and it could work during COVID is to, I would love to, to inspire people to to commit random acts of kindness in the name of the dangerous snakes. Like you go and leave a cheese pizza for the overnight front desk guy at the Holiday Inn or, you know, whatever. Whatever the thing is. I don't know. Up to, you know, go, go shovel someone's driveway without asking. You know, be a force of good in the world while also not uh, putting up with BS. That's my bold vision for it. As we were wrapping up, I asked him where people could go to get a laugh and where to find him on social media. Well, I've been permanently banned from Twitter, so don't look there. Um, I'm on Instagram, at Mr. Dave Hill, at Mr. Dave Hill. I just joined TikTok, you know, because I'm big with the team. I'm at, Mr. at Mr. Dave Hill there as well. But that that is almost exclusively the the bike videos. 
I just kind of started putting up there for fun, them there for fun. And then uh, go to mrdavehill.bigcartel.com and uh, and you can find the shirt. That's the site that has the shirts. My website, davehillonline.com and... And then, uh, yeah, that's about it. They can Google. There's a whole world. There's all sorts of junk out there. Dave Hill related books, videos, things like that. Thank you very much for uh, making us all laugh here. Oh, thanks for, uh, for watching the videos and thanks for having me. Okay, so it's so important these days to be grateful, and I am grateful for all the support again on the show, the people who share the stories, the people who are out there downloading and listening, the people who pass on that information to others. It's really appreciated, so let me take the time just to specifically appreciate some people for following on Podbeam. Matt. That was pretty easy. Just, just Matt. Thanks, Matt. Mike. Thank you, Mike, for following on Podbeam. Pedro, 173. That's easy. CC Ryder, thank you very much. Junior, these names are so much easier than normal. TS Kappa, thanks for following. Oh, here we go. Chao Hindo Chartates 15A, thanks a lot for following. PBG OBFAAOYSQ2, thanks a lot for following. Thanks a lot for everybody leaving ratings or reviews anywhere, especially on Apple products, Apple Media, Apple iTunes Store, all that stuff. I know you hear it everywhere, but it really does help when people go to search for you. So as winter creeps up on us, I find that I have a lot of bike stuff, like a lot of bike stuff. And the fact that I'm continually moving stuff on makes me think that there must have been some huge event where I attained a lot of bike stuff. And I think to myself, what would I trade that bike stuff for? Would I trade it for money? Probably, yes, I would trade it for money. Would I trade it for some extra time, some extra free time? Yes, some extra free time would be greatly appreciated. What about some extra space? Yeah, to be able to get more easily to the bikes that I want to work on, that would be great. Well, supporter of the show and overall nice guy, Fred Thomas, has a business that helps with that, the Frame and Wheel. It's not hyperbole when I call Fred a master of online selling. You would think selling your stuff online is simple and straightforward, but there's a lot of back-end work. Scammers who pretend they never got your product that you shipped. Delivery folks who try to destroy your product before it gets to there. Buyers who need you to educate them on exactly what they might want to buy and navigating the complex fee structure on so many platforms? Here's Fred to tell you how the Frame and Wheel can help you. Hey Tom, it's Fred Thomas at Frame and Wheel. Hey, to answer your question about what problem Frame and Wheel solves for its customers and um, reflection, I think it's the problem of time. You know, none of us have enough time. Um, there aren't enough hours in the day to do all the things we want to do. And selling a bike or bike gear is a time-consuming process. If you're doing it on your own using a Facebook page, well, then you know you got to meet the person somewhere, or they they got to come to you, and then got to change your schedule. To, to accommodate that, and, or if you've got a whole garage full of things, you've got 
got to create a listing for each item and it takes time, right? And then to add to that, the items sort of sink down in the feed, sort of go off everybody's radar. And before you know it, you're just looking at, at wasted time, items lost in time, and uh, you still have a garage full of stuff. So that's what that's what we do. We save customers time. We get all the stuff in. Either, we either pick it up or we have people send it to us um, or they drop it off and we whip right through it. We clean everything up. We identify these things, do the images and you know make great images that inform people, the good and the bad. And they're professional looking and, and that's important because nowadays people respond to nice images. And then we answer all the emails. People want to know more. And so we answer the emails that come in and, and then when people buy these items, we pack them up and we ship them. And packing a bike, that's um, a time-consuming thing if you don't know what you're doing, especially if you don't have the boxes and all that stuff. But we know how to pack a bike and we know how to ship it and we've got all the necessary material, so it just doesn't take that long for us. And, you know, I've been thinking people hire third parties to sell their houses. It should be the same for selling your bikes. Most of us don't know the intricacies of how to sell a house. Um, That's what real estate agents do. They get the house out there in the network and then they navigate all the back end and they help us get the deal done so that we can move on with our lives. It's a similar story I've always thought with frame wheel, except you're ending up with a lot of saved time, a lot of space and some cash to, well, go off and buy more bike gear. So anyway, thanks for the call about that. Talk to you soon. So to help me to thank Fred for helping out to support the show, please give him a follow on social media at both 80 bikes and the frame and wheel. And thanks. Now back to the show. Good day, this is Rowan de Bonaire of the Velocipedium here in Lancashire, England. I'm here to remind you always to do your ABC quick check before every ride, no matter how short. So here we go. A is for air. Check those tyres, which is spelt with a Y, by the way. B is for brakes. C is for your chain. And quick is your quick release or your wheel nuts. Just check that those wheels are going to stay where they belong. Thank you, Tom. And here's wishing you all tailwinds and joyful cycling. Toodle pip. Come back with me to a time long ago, in the golden age of American-made bicycles. Though they never really made their own complete bikes, New Departure from Bristol, Connecticut made a rear-wheel hub with a built-in coaster brake. These hubs were deluxe upgrades on many brands of the day. Many are still rideable and serviceable today over a hundred years later. Way back in 1919, before the internet, television, and even commercial radio, New Departure was marketing their superior bicycle hubs via the adventures of Billy Banning. Here at Bike Karma, I found a copy of this promotional book and will bring you a chapter each episode until the saga is complete. So come back with me to 1919, when Billy Banning's life was forever changed by a bike with a very special rear wheel. Travel back through time to experience Billy's Bicycle Triumphs.
All right, tonight we're doing the final Billy's Bicycle Triumphs. The finale. The finale. We're reading the fifth and sixth Bicycle Triumph and the final Bicycle Triumph. Because they're short. They're very short. Way shorter than last time. You guys are going to be super excited to know that Billy is going to college. And I am wondering, since I do not pre-read, if he'll be taking his bike. Not all kids went to college in 1919. No. Hardly anybody. And I bet the ones that went didn't have a bike with anything special on it. My grandmother didn't have a bike and she checked out at ninth grade because the books were too expensive. Right. So let alone a bike with a new departure coaster bike. Never. All right. So here we are with the fifth triumph. Billy goes to college. Mr. Ingalls did not fully recover from his injuries for a fortnight, but saw Billy every day. It was evident that he loved him as his own son. The first day he was able to sit at a table, he invited Billy for dinner, and after the meal was over, he remarked, I don't believe you realize what a fine job you and your bike did that afternoon, young man. To save one bank and wreck another all in one day is some distinction. Then after a pause, Billy... You know we've been talking over what we could do to partially reward you for what you did for us. We know that nothing we can offer you will really pay you for the afternoon's work, but we have a proposition to make, and I hope that will mean as much to you and your future as we think it will. Are they going to give him the girl? I, that would be really twisted. That, that was before that's, 1919, that's right? way before Yeah, we wouldn't be doing yeah. that. <clears throat> okay. I have no boy of my own, and I certainly do not want to rob your parents of so fine a son. But I want you to be my boy as much as you can. I want to see you every day. I want to help you plan your future. I want to help you succeed in life. You will, of course, finish your course in high school. And then I want to send you to college. When you graduate, I want you to finish off your education with a good long trip abroad, visiting all countries for a year or more. And then I hope you will not have to go alone. Then when you come back, I want you in the bank. Wow, this guy is certainly... He's setting him up Daddy Warbucks style. Mm, what is Billy's response? The plan thus presenting itself to Billy's imaginations seemed almost too splendid to be true. Oh, he's liking it. He's liking it. He was actually afraid it was a dream or that someone had placed an Aladdin's lamp in his hand that might disappear at any moment. He could never have wished for anything so marvelous as this. His joy was evident when he found words to express himself. Oh, Mr. Ingalls... This is too much, but I am so glad you think so well of me. I am sure father and mother will be just as pleased as I am, but I want to talk it over with them first, before I give you a definite answer. That's right, Billy, but I think they will see as I do that it means a bigger, broader future for you if they give their consent. That night, Billy told his parents of Mr. Ingalls' offer, and of course, they were overjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little worried his dad was going to drink himself into a stupor and then possibly shoot himself, but he didn't. They were not the least jealous of their fatherly love, the banker felt for their son, but they were sincerely grateful for the big-hearted man who had opened such wonderful possibilities to Billy. And to think, said Billy, when at last he said his good night, that all this good luck might have missed me if we hadn't followed the good old doctor's advice. What was the good old doctor's it, advice? Well, it doesn't. It, it's just... It's, it's just, just alluded to? It's just, yeah, backshadowing, I guess they would call it. Buy a new departure bike for your son. Right. And everything will work everything out. Everything will work out fine. Mm. So his high school days slipped by rapidly. He graduated with high honors and in the fall entered one of the largest colleges in the country. 
place he had always dreamed of, but never had the slightest thought of being able to enter. He had grown from a sturdy lad into a fine, well-built young man, a good athlete, a thorough student, and very popular with his fellows. He and Mildred were as close friends as ever, and the banker was still his counsel and advisor. I'm a little worried. Are we getting up to 1929 soon? I have no idea. I mean, Billy mm. is... Let's see, he was... I mean, graduated. It's really hard for me to remember. He was a young, young boy in the first triumph. Mm. So it's 1919. Yeah, we're getting close to the market crash. Oh. I hope he gets all that stuff before the market crashes. <laughs> I hope so, too. So... Well, in reality, this was published in 1919, so it's it's oh. one of those, So it like, might have started earlier. Well, it's I hard think. to know, because when was the New Departure coaster break developed? Probably around this time, when the propaganda came out for it. So it's like a projecting into the future. So they don't even know. They don't even know about what's to come. Valky's very upset about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's the timeline, Valky. <laughs> it's we don't. We're not sure of the timeline now. Right. He says, shop dogs need concrete timeline. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me go take care of that. Oh, hello. <laughs> oh, hello. So we have the sixth triumph. The sixth triumph. Yep. Which out of is, seven. Out of seven. Which is where Billy's bicycle helps him rescue Mildred. This is the cover photo. Oh, it is. There's Mildred. So in the cover photo, let me do like they do on NPR where they say, like, describe to me what you're seeing right now. So Billy is wearing a jaunty red jacket and a blue and white scarf around his neck. And he has some white tennis shoes on and blue looks like stretchy pants and he's leaping off of a pier into the ocean uh his bike is under him but falling quickly into the ocean it looks like he rode his bike directly off the pier and mildred is in the foreground in a little sailor girl outfit she's drowning she she appears to be drowning her arms are flailing and there's a turned over canoe with a paddle and she is in white caps so we all know canoes are not appropriate for a white cap situation but she is in white capped water and billy is he's going in for her how's your new departure help gonna help you now Billy? <clears throat> it's not it's gonna be in the ocean but it got him up to the end of the pier i think is i think will be let's see I think will be what happened. So here we are, the sixth triumph. Billy has just completed his sophomore year when the next chance came to prove his bike. He came home a week earlier than he was expected to find the Ingalls had gone to their summer home at the shore and the house was closed. However, he was expected to go there as soon as he came back to the city. So after spending a day with his parents, he mounted his wheel and rode off into the early morning confident of making the 30-mile spin before noon. About 10 o'clock, he noticed that a storm was coming up from the southeast and hoped it would not strike before he reached his destination. It grew darker and darker until just as he rode along the beach leading to the Ingalls cottage, he heard the mutter of thunder and saw a flash of lightning split a cloud and light the cliffs with an unearthly glow. 
He had nearly reached the gates leading to the lawns and gardens when there was a piercing scream from a party of girls on the beach. Help! Oh, come quick, help! There was not a man in sight and only a few girls on the beach, for the coming storm had driven everyone to the shelter. He looked off to sea and beheld a sight he never forgot. A white-clad girl was paddling a canoe towards the landing a little distance down, but the wind was offshore, and the frail craft tossed like an eggshell in the tempest of wind and sea. Time and again, she drove the canoe towards the dock, and each time she was driven back into the waves, the height of which was increasing every moment. The rain now came down in sheets, blinding her as Billy turned his bicycle towards the pier and pedaled for dear life. He heard the girl call faintly, Help! Help! Billy was flying down the pier. He reached the end just as the canoe capsized and threw the girl into the water. He caught a glimpse of a white face framed in golden hair. Then it disappeared beneath the waves. But in that one glimpse, he had recognized Mildred. The momentum of his speed had carried him over the end of the pier. He left the wheel to go where it might and leapt into the sea, a few feet from where the girl had gone down. At that moment, he saw her again, and seizing her by her shoulder, he began his battle with the waves. He was hurled against the piles of the dock, but thanks to his athletic frame, he withstood it and inch by inch fought his way to the beach with Mildred, a dead weight on his arm. By this time, someone had summoned help, and eager hands drew them ashore, where Mr. and Mrs. Ingalls waited to thank their daughter's rescuer. Billy, they gasped, and then, well, of course it would be you, and your bike. And here's the wheel, said a sturdy youngster as he laid the dripping machine on the sand at their feet. A bike that'll jump like that is too good to lose. When Billy went back to college in the fall, he carried Mildred's promise and she wore his ring. There came a day when Billy was carried from the gridiron on the shoulders of his men, the idol of the college and the fans, but he saw nothing beyond a happy face in the throng as Mildred waved his colors and cried for joy. That, that ends the triumph. No. Oh. That ends the sixth triumph. Right. Man. So if you were looking for the end of Billy's story, it comes in the final triumph. Not the seventh, but the final. They don't call it the seventh. They call it the final triumph. Because he has no more triumphs in his life. <sighs> Sturdy in character and bicycle-built health, Billy becomes wealthy and successful. Shall I go on? Mm-hmm. There was another day later when, after a wedding that was the talk of the city, they left for a year of foreign travel before Billy should take up his duties in the city bank. There are no more ardent cyclists in their hometown than young Mr. and Mrs. Banning. And many a day, their big car is laid up in the garage while they go spinning over the familiar lanes and country roads on their bicycles. Mr. Banning was respected and beloved by all in his city. He was active in all good work, 
was twice elected mayor, and finally reached the governor's chair. While the chief executive of his state, he was frequently asked to address boys and young men. In these talks, he advised his hearers to ride bicycles and told them of the good he had gotten out of his. In fact, he said, I owe pretty much all I have and am to a bike and that wonderful bicycle invention, the new departure coaster brake. I still ride it, enjoy it, and take most of my daily exercise that way. One of the newspapers reporting such an address headed its story, Billy's Bicycle Triumphs. And so we have chosen that caption as the title of this booklet. Whoa. So my feeling is it's 1919 and I'm a young man, a boy, who gets this little booklet and I read it and I show it to my parents and I don't get the expensive new bicycle with a new departure hub. Loser. I'm feeling like (laughs) my whole life has been ruined before it even started. Right, you're gonna feel pretty bad for yourself. He's the governor. He's the governor of the state that he lives in. The state. (laughs) Because. Could be any state. Eat your Wheaties and ride that bicycle. Right, it is propaganda. So there's a little bit more. An epilogue? It's the psych. It's this is the commercial. If you didn't, if you weren't aware that the previous seven triumphs were the commercial, very subtle. (laughs) This is the commercial. They're trying to sell something. (laughs) What? (laughs) This is the commercial part. So. The Cycling Triumph, New Departure Coaster Break. As you finish this story, you will doubtless want to know more about the invention Billy so often praises. The New Departure Coaster Break takes the place of the hub in the rear wheel of the bicycle, slightly larger in size and handsome in design. Over 5 million bicycle riders in America alone have used this brake. It is so very popular today that bicycle manufacturers install it in their wheels as standard equipment. We call it the brake that brought the bike back. The new departure coaster and braking mechanism is placed within the hub itself. This mechanism is very simple. The parts are few and made of steel, strong, sturdy, and hard to wear out. In fact, the new departure often outlasts the bicycle. Since the first days of cycling, many devices have been invented for stopping the bicycle. All have worked after a fashion, but the new departure is popular because it operates so successfully that the rider can slow down or stop instantly, the greatest ease and the least back pressure on the pedals. It is really three brakes in one, never locks, jerks, jolts, or strains the rider, wheel, or bicycle frame. It makes the bicycle the easiest controlled of all vehicles. Parts are few, sturdy, simple, and strong. They have a little diagram here, five parts. Four parts, one, two, three, four parts. For the exhilarating sport of coasting, it is unexcelled. It regulates speed on the steepest hills or on the level stretches. When coasting, the feet are at rest, so it halves the pedaling. In other words, you pedal only part of the way. You can ride all day without fatigue. It is positively and unfailingly reliable. The new departure is made in one of New England's largest quality factories. This quality is capitalized. Every brake can easily be installed on an old or new bicycle by any bicycle repairer and will make it a vastly better wheel. The new departure manufacturing company, Bristol, Connecticut. Finn. 
no legal things like results may vary. You might not become governor if you buy a bike. From no. Us. no, no, it's pretty much guaranteed. Well, it's fiction. I mean, so? I don't know if we ever just to recap because maybe five episodes ago we read the front page, the cover page, which is Billy's bicycle triumphs, a lively story of a boy who got his health back, escaped from a mob saved one bank and wrecked another, rescued a drowning girl, found wealth and happiness through riding a bicycle. Sounds like our life together. <laughs> but you would change it to in spite of all his bicycles. <laughs> in spite of all his bicycles, we found <laughs> happiness and less wealth. <laughs> what would yours say? yours say? Yours would say, lively story of a boy who... Rode his bicycle. Rode his bicycle. Oh. Was less sad. Oh, yeah. His mom wouldn't let him ride across off of piers. <laughs> so when I was when I was thinking of him coming upon the storm, do you know what flashed into my head? You're telling me about your horrible storm in northern Scotland when you were like, when oh, it was God. like, <laughs> you were like pedaling and trying. The signs and on the road were shaking. And trying to get, them, get the away. The sheep were looking at us like we were while they dumb. Were, while they were pulling in the fishing boats from the North Sea, and you were looking for some place to not to, to not be riding your bike. Well, I would ride my bicycle off the pier for you. Oh, that's sweet. Oh, I would pretend to drown in the river and take a canoe out in unstable water to get your attention. Oh, All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for reading. Billy's okay. Bicycle triumphs. I'm sad. I was reluctant <laughs> to read Billy, but <laughs> but now I'm like, oh, Billy's all done. That's too bad. Well, you've reached the end of another episode of the Bike Karma Bicycle Stories podcast. As always, I'd like to thank Keller Glass and the band Mobjack for their excellent opening and closing theme music. You can check them out at mobjackmusic.com or you can check out Color Glass to see what he's up to more recently. I'd like to thank all my guests from this episode, especially my wife for reading an entire book about bicycles. For that and a billion other reasons, I can't imagine a better partner to go through life with. I'd like to thank the almost 80,000 people in over 90 different countries around the world who've downloaded the podcast. It is humbling and amazing to connect with so many people. Thanks for your patience if you are one of the people I've interviewed whose interview is in the queue waiting to be lovingly produced and edited and to be included in the show. Especially those folks who I went to Ragbri with, that episode is coming. I originally went on the ride in 2019 and then I got kind of overwhelmed by how many stories so I was going to do a one year anniversary show. And then the one year anniversary was a global pandemic and the tour had been cancelled for the first time in its history. And honestly it's just been emotionally too tough to think about camping together and eating elbow to elbow at picnic tables and having thousands of cyclists shoulder to shoulder rolling into a town. It was a blast and hopefully we'll be able to do it again someday. So I am planning on having those Ragbri interviews out on the two-year anniversary of my ride. There's a lot of other great stuff in the pipeline. 
If you have any story ideas, comments, suggestions, you happen to have an extra large salsa Fargo for sale, have some degree of pull with Oprah or Greg LeMond, or you happen to know bicycle loving people in Greenland, oh yeah, and if you have a product that you think might be a good fit for the show, for all those things, you can contact me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. That's bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. Apart from the music, which is Mobjack, and the rest is royalty-free, I appreciate those musicians as well. Everything else is the intellectual property of Thomas Brown. All rights, including rights for reproduction, trademark, and copyright, are asserted and reserved. If you'd like to go see some of the things talked about in today's show, the easiest way is to go to my Instagram. There I'll have a lot of easy links to all the other people you hear on the show. Stay well out there, everybody, and until next time, keep it wheel. Wheel, 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 whe